Hello and welcome to another edition of Detroiters Think Big, a podcast by the Detroit Regional Chamber. I'm your host, Devin O'Reilly, and with me today, uh, or I should say I'm with him, is <laughs> Kari Frazier, the founder of Detroit is Different. Kari, I'm, yes. I usually say welcome to be here, but you should be kind of welcoming me, right? Hilarious. Yes, uh, we are in the incubator space, Detroit is Different podcast studio. This is the video studio we're in, and like I told you, um, it's for this, it's to create content. Uh, I feel like every moment that this isn't happening in these rooms, we're missing out on something being said that needs to be said and shared and given to the people. Yeah, for sure. So let's talk more about where we're at. So you know, we'll we'll post some uh, we'll post some visuals on social media when we release and everything. But I want to talk about kind of where we're at right now. We're in basically a converted house. Yeah. In what neighborhood are we? We are in, I guess, if you want to label it, Hope Village Revitalization is the Community Development Corporation. Uh, it's down the street from Focus Hope, uh, Central High School neighborhood, uh, Rosa Parks, Davidson, Linwood. That is like kind of the stomping grounds, 12th Street. Uh, but I call it Clements, man. This is home. This yeah. Is home. So why, the, why this house? Well, this was my grand father bought this house. My grandparents got this house and were one of the first black families in this neighborhood. I actually live right next door. Um, and in inheriting the house next door, I ended up purchasing this house from my aunties and everything. I mean, not much because it's still a family deal. And um, I had renters in here for, for a while. I've had studios downtown, uh, 1440 Gratiot, which is like such a big thing now in Eastern Market. Also ran a studio in Southfield for a while, uh, was a partner in a couple other downtown projects with studios. And in 2017, as I was working on more podcasting, I said, let me go on and use this space. Let me, instead of having a renter, let me actually turn and activate this space into what I want to do creatively. Um, it was important in a hell of a project and actually one of the most, um, I guess I would say, appreciating projects I've ever done because in doing this, I've learned so much more about my neighbors that I've known for a while and even the new ones. I've definitely welcomed way more people to my community and really it's that it's the it's the Heidelberg project of it all like you know it, we're still on a block where you know some houses look half destroyed half constructed um, still looking at you know empty spots and places where properties have been vacated and demolished and in the middle of all of this you get a podcast studio that touches the whole world it's been eye opening just seeing people's responses to this yeah and so this this whole house has been basically converted into a Detroit is different world headquarters so mm -hmm. talk about more it, there's there's two podcast studios here actually yeah, yeah. And there's all sorts of stuff can you talk about what else goes on here so uh, creating content is the key. Uh, I think content creation is very important. And really, that's just a fancier way of saying storytelling. Storytelling has all, uh, you know, it, it captures our hearts and minds as human beings. Um, so making sure we have those tools to tell these stories uh 
for for all people, especially black people, is is very important. Um, it's some voices that have been suppressed that usually wouldn't have platforms, uh, like specifically like Cats Meow, uh, masculine based lesbian narratives. Like you know, where would they get a, a platform to say what they want to say, how they want to do it, as long as it's like sincere and from their perspective. You know, I'm I'm proud of that. I'm proud of uh, a lot of the voices that usually wouldn't get that platform you know uh we have podcasts on afrofuturism and i'm like you know i'm as a black person it's like what the hell is afrofuturism you know and then you find out more about it and see who the guests are and then seeing uh this world of technology uh interconnecting black people across across the globe like it is powerful and i'm glad that detroit is different is one of those platforms that allows people a space and place to create uh without being hindered by you know even paying money you know i offer this resource for free just because i stand on making sure that these platforms exist and plus I, I do feel that you know people need some time to develop their voices so i look at this like a like a Detroit is different is a place where you can play pickup basketball, but like pickup podcast or content creation, you can really cut your teeth here, really learn what you want to do, develop your voice, figure it out. I'm going to give you some tips and clues, but you'll develop that relationship with an audience. You need that. And that's right here in this neighborhood. So how did you, I mean, obviously you have a passion for this. You have experience with this. How did you come to start Detroit is Different? How long ago was that? That it really became like a fully formed thing. Okay, so 2014, the website and the podcast launched. Um, I'm a big podcast fan. I may have been like one of the first podcast nerds. Like I'll listen for hours, you know. Uh, 2009, I really did deeper dives into podcasting through like a lot of people through like Mark Maron's podcast uh, and as a comedian, a, a Boston based comedian that moved to LA years ago but starting off it was his podcast and just interesting takes and quirks uh, he would do a lot of segments on NPR at one point in time and then in podcasting it's like I would get different perspectives as he would talk to different comedians I'm like okay I like this it's the art of conversation so when I did the website I was like let me do a podcast too because Detroit is different really is just built on showing people the differences in the city of Detroit. Because I think that this is a very, the culture here is very rich, but it's still a very cliquish town. Meaning that, you know, a lot of people have no idea of the mass Mongolian population on Detroit's east side. But unless you're like a part of that world, it'll just like go past you. You know, the the ties of like uh, the, the German culture in and around Detroit, like it, it'll go past you. And then even just like certain nuances of like, you know, black organizations that focus on playing things like, you know, AC Ducey and, and like interesting card games and stuff. Like unless you're connected to like the horseshoe players in and around, like you don't know. And it's a lot of rich culture like that. And you can live here and be in Detroit your whole life and then be like damn that existed in Detroit like Detroit had like a street racing culture that was like you know fast and the furious and it's like yeah it, it was always here you just never paid attention to it because you never were invited to it so Detroit is different was a way of me introducing different people I know to some of the unique and interesting people adding to Detroit culture that I feel don't usually get those platforms outside of the circle that they're in mm -hmm. So, getting some more specific, we with the with the neighborhood grant. So you were part of you were part of the neighborhood grant. 
<clears throat> cohort yeah. this past year. Um, what did that allow you to do uh, with your space? How did that help you kind of enhance what you already do? Uh, it, it helped big time. Um, and thank you all for uh, for that opportunity and that funding um, definitely was impactful because during COVID-19, uh, it's, it's hard to remember because it was so close, but I think a lot of people forget it was a lot of fears all the way around about what's going to happen next. You know, will we ever be in spaces again, share things together? So in 2019, that was the first year I did the Detroit is Different podcast, like the Detroit is Different Festival. But it was bringing to life, as I told most of the podcasters, like give the audience a chance to experience your podcast if your podcast was a person. You know, I have a marketing degree. Uh, shout out Walsh College and just interest in marketing. So I'm always big in like, you know, creating experiences beyond what the experience is right here. That was the festival. After the festival, we took a year off because of COVID-19. And what will we do? And that's when we decided to pivot and do something outside. And that was a lot of studios. So instead of offering one weekend worth of events, why don't we stretch it out over like a series of the summer? And then we can give people a live performance and give people a live podcast to listen to and experience. Because even in this, like, I guess, uh, growing industry of podcasts, you still have a lot of people that want to make podcasts but never listen to podcasts so giving people the opportunity to listen and experience what a podcast was is eye-opening for people interested in it and then adding performance because i'm just big into music period and the neighborhood grant allowed to really up that game you know 2021 i was surprised and humbled by what we did with uh with a lot of studio, but the neighborhood grant helped uh, uh, establish equipment because the the granting was really for equipment in support of what we were doing. So I was able to focus on uh, getting a better stage. We had the Little Rascal stage the first time around, and I like the Little Rascal stage. You know what I'm saying? They rock well, you know, where you get like... Um, we stacked pallets and then we put like basically a particle board uh, that was weather treated on top of it and dry and, and uh, plywood. But now we got a real stage. That real stage helped immensely. You know, it, it adds so much more to the experience. We got some other equipment. We got a board. We got uh, things level like landscaping leveled out. We got shipping containers like it just added to the game. So the production heightened up exponentially just connected to the neighborhood grant where people were coming up and saying like, wow, you all really stepped up game. And I'm like, well, we stepped up game because we were awarded this grant that supported what we did with this vision of a lot of studio stretching out from this Detroit is different festival idea. And at the heart of it, it's just bringing to life where we can touch, see and feel something that's just an audio. Uh, it's like a digital world versus quote unquote real world. And I think meshing both, especially for Detroit culture, Detroit black culture, it's important that we have something to touch beyond just what we see. Like I see everything going on down the street. I mean, when we think of 12th street at the congregation, I think the congregation is like a real dope. It's a, it's a restaurant not far from here. And it's dope because they offer space and place for people to connect beyond just being inside a space. So, uh, it was imperative to do that post COVID-19, but even carrying on, especially in the summer, it's unique the way people respond to something outdoors and that outdoor activity. But that outdoor activity definitely needs, because we are still tech based, 
it needs the right equipment for it to be a good experience. You know, right. nobody wants to be uh, with a megaphone trying to give a podcast because I'm pretty sure that that audience wouldn't stay because I know I wouldn't sit for that. You know, <laughs> That's a good 1950s, 60s version of a podcast. Yes, yes. So you obviously are very ingrained in this community. Mm-hmm. And can you talk a little bit about how Detroit is different kind of fits even within this neighborhood? Like, is there support from your neighbors, from the neighborhood for what you're doing here? And how has the neighborhood changed, you know, since you've been here so long? Okay, so... Um, two parts. So first, yes, it's a lot of support from my neighbors, even the ones that like are silent. Like um, if you get lost in my neighborhood and you're like, I'm looking for like a studio, especially like on my block, they're going to say, oh, yeah, the, the 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 guy down the street, you know. So some of it is like silent support. You know, their kids may come and we'll get them like, uh, you know, when we have the, the snow cones or whatever, get the kids the snow scones or some waters or, you know, if we have food, get make sure they get vending. Um, that's like just like the more interpersonal I give out uh, it's a garden so I give out some of the the produce from the garden to my neighbors as well um, That that's one level and then the other level I think that connects us as a community is the music the music you know they hear the music uh, they like it they appreciate it you know and then I have to also respect them uh, with with you know making sure it's not you know going over too long or too late um, it, it's definitely brought more coercion uh, more community unity together and it really is the the garden that did that I think more than anything uh, as far as the changes over time, Many changes, uh, many changes have taken place over time. Some of the biggest things from being here for so long is a lot of the blighted or dilapidated properties are properties that I'm very, you know, familiar with. Um, It's things that I'm connected to. Uh, So I don't look at it like, damn, what happened to that house? I look at it like that was Miss McAfee's house. You know, that was Miss Deemer's house. That was like I can recognize some of the the depreciation, like uh, the watching what happens with this housing stock, because having an older home in Detroit can come with other responsibilities. Um, What's happened as my neighborhood has transitioned from more homeowners to more renters in this community? You know, it's, it's definitely become a reality. And witnessing this just changes it changes the the relationship that I believe a lot of neighbors have to this community. Uh, so some of the older, older neighbors, such as myself, meaning people that have been here for generations, connect in this community differently than people that are renting that feel like, eh, you know, I'll just stay here for a second. So like onboarding and connecting them to this story is deep, you know. So in looking ahead, in the, the fact that you have such kind of deep roots in this neighborhood and in this community, when you talk about growing Detroit is different and where you go next, it doesn't seem like you're leaving this area because nah. this is this is home. So how what does expansion and what does growth look like for you, you know, in the next year? You know, that's unique. Um, and I am one of those people that like it would take a lot for me to leave Detroit. And then I'm so backwards with my family. It's like I'm one of the few people like, hey, if you want to live any other place on earth, where would it be? Cleveland. And it's like, damn, you picked a, a more Detroit Detroit than Detroit. You know what I'm saying? But I'm that person. Um, 
I love this neighborhood. It's like the richness and seeing what what's happened, and, and there's certain things we're going through over here now and uh, organizing. I believe that what Tyree Guyton has done with the Heidelberg Project in reference to uh, creating a an interactive uh, artistic abstract installation in a whole community I want my neighborhood to be for like audio and creating content so eventually you know getting some of the properties that do have the bones to uh, you know where I can implement and, and do some build out I would like to open up and do some of that on this block uh, throughout this community I have those plots of land so I see activating more of those spaces I just came back from a trip it's a group in Chicago called Sweetwater Foundation and going there was like wow you know what I'm saying it's like you you look at other ideas on the way that they're making uh, different like structures and just building structures on their plots of land inside their farming and gardening apparatuses. So I'm even thinking outside the box of that just because, mm-hmm. you know, now I want some more depth with the video stuff that I'm doing and and uh, building for productions. And now I see some possibilities being able to come about just from, you know, seeing these ideas. So step the next step is. um in short term, making sure I stay on this rhythm with Detroit is Different as a podcast. Anybody that creates content knows you can drift a little bit and getting some of the other podcasters back in the mix and finding new podcasters to come to Detroit is Different that would like to express their voice and giving them my system and getting active. So that's step one. Step two will be engaging and interacting what interacting with what will be like live experiences a little bit more. So definitely keep building out on a lot of studio. Maybe bring back the Detroit is Different Festival. Um, and from there, looking at what that property expansion, utilizing more of this house itself. Uh, the basement is set up for a recording studio. So how do we activate that? What will it look like uh, if, we, if we're getting into recording more music? What type of music? Who will those artists be? What expressions will they have? Uh, that's what I see. Hmm. So. You talked about content and kind of the wrap up question here. Usually, I kind of just you know ask about plugging um, plugging social platforms and what organizations and businesses are using to get their story out here. Obviously, you specialize in that. So let me just kind of phrase it a little bit differently and say yeah. what what do you find are the best platforms for getting your message out and how as a content creator do you uh, find works best to get message out about what you're doing, who you are, what you're all about. Okay, and I'm about to be one of those complex people. This is the artist in me. Um, Depends on the audience you're talking to. Uh, And for everybody listening, just know that, like, I have podcasts that, you know, have, you know, I want to say my most listened to podcasts may have, like, I don't know, you know, 40, 50,000 listens. And then I got podcasts that may have, like, you know, 40 or 50 listens. Like, sometimes it's not reach is rich you know and uh the analogy i always say to even every podcaster that comes here and i'm gonna get to your answer but i want to give this context first is you know when you think about making a podcast most people think like from the lens of pop culture you know your opinion on kanye west or kim kardashian or i don't know whatever pop culture is talking about which that's a lame but i believe the best content is rich content because that's what people are coming to this world for they can turn on the tv and hear all of the 
rich content stuff. You know, that's why radio plays the same 12 songs. Rich content is what matters. So like, like if I did a podcast, I use this analogy always called tying knots on yachts, meaning basically, you know, I anchor a yacht ship. I may only have like 300 listens, but I may be able to sell a commercial for $10,000 a pop because it's like, who is listening to how to tie a knot on a yacht other than people that either operate yachts, own yachts, interested in buying yachts. It's like, it's a rich audience there for it, you know? So when I think about where I'm angling my content, I'm also thinking about where that audience is too, you know? So some people read some, sometimes it's the, you know, the Spotify listener is different than the listener on Apple because it comes on Apple versus the person that listens on Stitcher versus the person that listens on Google. Like it, that all plays. I think that my Instagram audience is unique when it comes to reels. Um, my Facebook probably gets a lot of traction, but I think it's because I'm giving like, in a sense, like some unique news based stories. And, you know, Facebook is an older audience right now. I don't really do much in TikTok, but I think that it could be an audience there, too. So depending upon what the message is, I'm going to try to get to that platform and then also make sure that it's rich enough to reach because really all it takes is like one or two. And it's surprising that I think a lot of times people forget that in this day and age. It's one or two. You really want a core audience fan group of few, and that few will carry your works with them to the day they die or till you betray your artistry and they've gone on to something else. You really need that dedicated fan base. Yeah, you know? The super fans. Yeah. Yeah. Like you need the uh, or the stands. Your ju- you need your juggalos. You know what I'm right? saying? You need yeah. the person in the audience drinking Fago, painted, painted their face. They gonna buy everything ICP which I know would sound crazy because most people would think like oh man you know what I'm saying? I, I would rather be this person in a, in a larger position but the more you have that core fan base you have more autonomy to do whatever you want to do mm-hmm. you know and i believe that they're an example of clearly they can do whatever they want to do yeah you know no oh, for sure so with that said how do people best connect with you so if you're shouting out your platforms how can people find out more about you and follow your story oh i'm, I'm easy to get to um any social media reach out to me uh i think this is probably more business so i think that if you're in this world linkedin uh i get a lot of traction from linkedin and people sleep on the reach you can get from linkedin i think some people still look at it like it's a regular uh a regular I guess, uh, social networking app. I'm sure people are sliding in DMs trying to get dates too on, on LinkedIn, but it's also a very big platform, I think, for putting up video or small content. Uh, I've been rewarded when I've done that. So in 2023, I'm going to focus a little bit more on making sure I get more LinkedIn content up there because it's engaging and interacting to want to create more support tools for business people and entrepreneurs. Fantastic. So Kari, Detroit is different. Yeah. Look forward to hearing more about what you're doing. We're going to follow along. And uh, we're already talking about doing yeah. kind of a, a, a show cross, swap. Yeah, show swap, cross-pollination yeah. podcast. So we'll we'll look for that soon. But uh, it was great. It was great to be here in your house mm-hmm. uh, and, and get to talk with you today. Thank you. Thank you.
With me today is Daniel Dillard, the owner of Always There Mobile Notary. Uh, welcome, Danielle. Uh, thanks for thanks for coming and joining us. Well, thank you so much for inviting me, Devin. How are you today? I'm doing well. We'll shout out again. We're uh, we're in Kari Frazier's space. The Detroit is different. Uh, so again, if you if you want to do some podcasts, if you like content creation, this is a really cool space for it. Um, but let's get to let's get to why you're here to talk about Always There Mobile Notary. Um, first, before we get to kind of what you're up to right now, mm-hmm. let's talk about how you got here and how you got to this place. So what what brought you to found this company and start this and why has it become your passion? Well, I started always there mobile notary during the height of COVID. And when COVID was happening, um, I was already a notary. So I was already doing that type of work anyway. But what made me want to take it mobile was that when everything was closed down, there seemed to be a really great need for mobile notary services because people had need for signings and things, but they couldn't get to where the um, notaries were because places like banks and post offices and things like that, they were closed. And so I was getting phone calls at 3 and 4 o'clock in the morning. People were in the hospital, and um, they were doing things that, you know, their children needed to have um, power of attorneys and things like that, and they needed them right then. And so they were in panics and things like that. And so that made me say, well, you know what? Maybe I need to take this a different route, and maybe I need to start making this a mobile notary service where I'm available 24-7, the people that I I hire our 24-7 and we can get to them and people can call us when they need us and we can go to them wherever they are, hospitals, um, convalescent homes and things of that nature. And so that's what made me start the mobile notary service. And then I'm taking it a step further now where I'm making, um, which got me with um, Detroit Neighbor Hub. I have a transit van now and I'm converting that into a mobile office. So my office is going to be on the road now. That's awesome. So going back, I know there's there's obviously a process to become a notary. It doesn't always have to be a full-time thing, though. So were you working as a notary? Was this a full-time thing for you, or were you doing something else and decided to make this leap and make this kind of your full-time gig? Well, I was doing something else, and then when COVID hit, um, everything was laid off. So <laughs> that took me out of my full-time element, and it just made me say, well... I can focus more on my notary services. And then that's when I started actually doing more advertising and things of that nature. And that's when more people started calling me, be out of the need. Mm-hmm. So before, before you know, having the van, um, how, are you been, how have you been or how were you uh, getting to people? Is it just you just use... Using my car, <laughs> using friends' cars if um, my car wasn't working that day or whatever. I would just, whatever it took... I've even caught the bus to people. So. <laughs> and, you know, from and again, you know, maybe this is naive, but I know there's probably a lot of people who have some familiarity with with notary services. Some people have used them. Some people, I think, haven't. But is there equipment that you need to bring around with you? Well, yes, I have to. Well, in order to be a notary, you have to be certified by the state of Michigan. It's not just anyone can be a notary. You have to actually be commissioned. So I am a commissioned notary by the state. Um, I have my stamp, my seals and my journals and things because everything is kept on record. You have to be licensed. You have to be bonded. um, You have to have insurance. I have a ridiculous amount of insurance that you have to have because if something goes wrong, then 
you're dealing with people's lives here because a lot of the things that we do notarize, they're for important issues. Like I said, powers of attorney. Um, we do loan signings. We do um, wills. We do trusts. We do things that actually affect people's lives. And so if something is not right or something is not um, above board, then there could be very significant legal ramifications. So we have to have a lot of insurance. Um and in doing that, getting the process of getting the notary certification, once you get that, it goes through the state of Lansing, and then we have a journal that we keep. So everything that we sign, we keep in a journal, and then we keep that journal until that journal is full, and then we turn it over to the state. And the state keeps it in their records for 10 years physically, and then they digitize it and they keep it f- for whenever. <laughs> forever. As far as we're concerned, forever. Um, so, and in, in, I guess I want to say in normal times, but pre-COVID and even still now, what's the most used way of, of notary services? People go to offices to get things notarized for people? Generally, I think the most is people going to um, banks. They will go to, um, you can find a notary at like the UPS store and things of that nature. But like I said, during the height of COVID, all of those things were closed. and But people still needed things notarized because you can't file things with the state or what have you legally if they're not notarized, the things that you need. So that's what made me do the whole mobile thing. But now that COVID has, well, I'm not going to say it's gone because it's not, but um, now that the need is not there as much as everything's closed, everything's back opened, Mm -hmm. there's still the need because I've just switched my um, area going as opposed to just people calling me, I'm going to places like churches and letting people know that I'm available. I'm going to hospitals more and passing out my flyers and my cards and things of that nature. Yeah, that's a, I mean, that's that's a really good way to do it because you're going to where you know a a, a, a large quantity of potential clients are mm-hmm. um, and doing it that way. Are you able to? Are you able to set up things like that, like almost uh, almost events or situations where you say, hey, if you want anything notarized, I'll be here at X time, X day, and you mm-hmm. can get it notarized? I have. I've done a couple of events over the summer where I've gone to senior citizen um, buildings or where residents, senior citizen residents live mm-hmm. in the whole um, complex, and I've set up the van outside have my tables my tent and everything and I've sat there the whole day and people they've had um they've had um, quick claim deeds where they were trying to give their houses to family members and things of that nature they've had um trusts that they were doing wills that they were doing power of attorneys They've had some people were getting married and they wanted to witness their marriage. I mean, there are lots of different things that people don't realize that they have to have notarized that they don't realize. Like if you're um, if a child was born, um, if you have a child and you were born here, but the child was born out of the country to another parent and that child is out of the country, but the child wants to come into the country. You have to have a D-209 and that has to be notarized. But people don't realize that until it's too late. Mm-hmm. And then it's last minute, the child's on its way, and <laughs> the child's going to get stopped if they don't have the proper information and it's notarized. Is there is there something that, I mean, that's, that's a really good example. Is there something else that, you know, you find people needing notarized that most people wouldn't think about? Um, 
well, yes, there's, <laughs> I've had some, I've had people just write out something on a piece of paper. Mm-hmm. And they're like, okay, this is between me. I'm selling my car to this person. And this, these are the terms of what I want. And they think, well, it doesn't have to be notarized. If this is what you want, then yes, it can be notarized. And it can be, if this person is signing and you're signing, it can be notarized. And what I would normally do is not accept a piece of paper. (laughs) I will give them what's called a general acknowledgement. And then that way I could put my official seal and my stamp on it. And then it's still legal and binding. It's not just a piece of paper. But if you wrote it on a piece of paper and you brought it to me, I can put the language of a notarization on it. If there's an oath that needs to be taken, which is called a dread, if I'm I'm certifying that this is what it says it is, above board and this and that, and I swear that this is to be true, and I'm signing it in front of this notary, Yes, so a lot of people don't realize that they can do that, but you can. Interesting. Uh, so we taught you. You alluded to the the neighborhood grant and the funds um, that were that were given from that. Can you talk about what you're able to do? I mean, you got a sprinter van, so what are we able? To, you you've got equipment in it. Talk to me about what this is now that you've got. <laughs> well, I've taken it. I've soundproof. That's why I was looking at this stuff. I was like, oh, that's neat. I didn't think about that. But because um, the sound, there's an echo because mm. it's empty. It's a cargo van. It's yeah. empty in the back. And so I was like, okay, what can I do about the echo? So I did soundproof it. I have it soundproofed and everything. But I used the standard silver. I forget what they call it, but it's some silver stuff and it's all over it. And it's up underneath. It's in installation I guess but it's up underneath the paneling mm-hmm. so I'm working on the paneling now and there's going to be a pull out sofa like mm-hmm. apparatus and then my desk and then the filing cabinet and everything and I didn't have to worry about wiring I was so glad because that was my biggest fear was how was I going to get this wire so I can run my computer and everything mm-hmm. but with technology and everything there's a um the device that I bought is called a solar, it's like a solar panel um, generator. Mm. And everything is solar power. So I have solar panels on top of the van and it just runs a wire down and it connects and I plug it up. I have a little thing that plugs up and then I can plug up all my computers, my laptops and I need a, um, a long power strip and everything plugs up into it. It runs perfect without being wired. I'm like, yes. <laughs> Great solution. And then I got um, a mirror because I couldn't see out the back because the transit van that I wanted, one I wanted one with the windows around it, but first I couldn't get that one. And it was a little out of my price range, so I got the regular with the dark, mm-hmm. you know, panels in. So I'm like, how am I going to see out of the back? <laughs> And so um, I ended up getting a rearview mirror with uh, cameras on the back of the van, and I could see out of the rearview mirror, and the rearview mirror is uh, a video screen. Oh, nice. So I can see around the van from the rearview mirror. Very cool. I thought that was cool. That is, that was neat. <laughs> that, that is pretty cool. Um, so did you, you also alluded to you were able to kind of start creating a bit of a team. Mm-hmm. So it's not just you anymore? No, it's not just me anymore. I have three full-time team members who go out with me or they go out if I can't do something because I'm busy doing something else. If I can't go out, then I can send them out to do notarizations. And so I'm building and growing and hopefully 
I could continue doing that and adding more people. Is that, I mean, so looking ahead to next year, is that kind of the plan? Was you just kind of grow this business, um, build your customer base larger and be able to expand your team? Oh, absolutely. Because the need is there and I still see it because like I said, I do different things as far as being a notary. I don't just do notarizations. I'm also a wedding officiant, so I do weddings. Um, So there are different things that I can do and I try to get other people to do those as well. And just being independent is the being independent part that works best for me and and helping the community. Yeah. So it so it sounds like, you know, uh some of the hardships that happened with COVID um, and obviously that caused you to, to have a big a life pivot essentially that exactly. seems to have worked out for the best <laughs> exactly I mean it did as sad as it was it did make me stop and think and regroup because the thing that really changed me was you know I just saw so many people in need and I just saw that need and I felt like I could do something about it and if I could do something about it then maybe I can help others do something as well because we never know when another COVID could happen. And in that, I started being able to tell people that, you know, these things that people were waiting to the last minute about, I started having talks and things with churches and things that people shouldn't be waiting to the last minute for these things. These are things that we need to be addressing with our loved ones now, daily. Mm-hmm. You know, we shouldn't be waiting until someone is sick in the hospital to know where our important documents are or who owns what or who has who's being left what. We shouldn't wait to the last minute for that. Mm-hmm. And so I'm doing classes, you know, just talks because, you know, yeah. Those are things that we need to do in the community. For sure. So how can people how can people continue to connect with you, um, find your services? Uh, you have social media. Is it website? What's the best ways to connect? Well, the best way to contact me is through my phone number, 248-450-8720. You can always reach me through my website, www.alwaysthernotary.com. And I'm also available on Facebook, are Twitter. You- what what would you say? Do you have like a, a geographic reach of how far you'll go? Or I'm generally in the Tri County area. I go to Wayne County, Oakland County, Monroe County. I will go further, but the further I go, it is more expensive because especially with gas prices the way they are. The further I go, the more expensive it is. Right, right, and and maybe m- mobile wedding services in your future too. <laughs> That's a good idea. <laughs> Tiny weddings are a big thing. <laughs> Uh, well, Danielle, it's great to great to speak with you today and have you on and hear about all the cool things you're doing. Well, thank you so much, Devin, and thank you, Detroit Neighborhub, for doing what you do, and I appreciate you guys very, very much. Thank you for listening to another episode of Detroiters Think Big, a podcast by the Detroit Regional Chamber. I'm your host, Devin O'Reilly. For more episodes, go to DetroitChamber.com backslash neighborhub.